Ready or not, here I come. There's some laughs, so you guys are probably familiar with that phrase. If you've played hide-and-go-seek as a child, then you probably remember saying that. When you play hide-and-go-seek, all of the hiders go and hide, right? What does the seeker do? He seeks, right? But as the hiders are hiding, the seeker has to count. He counts the agreed-upon amount of time, giving the hiders enough time to go and find their hiding places. And when the seeker is done counting, he shouts, Ready or not, here I come. And you might remember the panic of, of trying to find a place to hide, but then hearing that final warning and realizing, I don't have a place to hide yet. He's coming, I'm going to lose. So you jump in the closet or whatever, whatever is closest to you. But the seeker is not obligated to give the hider more time. He's not obligated to wait until the hider is ready. He was supposed to have been ready already. So if he's not ready, it's on him. It's his fault. Our passage today, in my mind, is the biblical equivalent of ready or not, here I come. And Jesus is using three similar but distinct parables to give a warning to his people. This whole passage is about the second coming of Jesus, his return, and it's a warning against complacency in his absence, a warning to stay vigilant and to watch for his coming because he expects us to be ready when he does come. So Jesus has given us this warning, and whether you are ready or not, Jesus is coming. Turn with me to Luke chapter 12, and we'll read verses 35 through 38. Stay dressed for action and keep your lamps burning. And be like men who are waiting for their master to come home from the wedding feast, so that they may open the door to him at once when he comes and knocks. Blessed are those servants whom the master finds awake when he comes. Truly I say to you, he will dress himself for service and have them recline at table and he will come and serve them. If he comes in the second watch or in the third and finds them awake, blessed are those servants. Now with parables, we need to fight the tendency to try and find uh, a specific meaning in every single detail in the parable. They're they're stories that are used to communicate a truth or or a message. And some of the details do represent things, but some of the details are just details for the sake of the story. But parables usually communicate one truth, one idea. Not always, but usually. And it's always related to the gospel, to the kingdom of God. And from the first words of Jesus here, we can already understand exactly what this parable is going to be about. Stay dressed for action. Keep your lamps burning. To stay dressed for action literally means to to keep your loins girded up. Now, people in that day wore long robes. If they needed to work, if they needed to go to war, if they needed to run, they would have to take their robe and they'd have to tie it up so their legs wouldn't be restricted. They could move around much more freely. This is the exact phrase that is used in Exodus 12 in the, in the Greek Old Testament, the Septuagint. In Exodus 12, 
You're probably all familiar with the passage. The Israelites are eating the Passover meal. But God tells them that, that while you are eating, you must keep your loins girded up. In other words, enjoy the meal, Israelites, but be ready to go at a moment's notice. Jesus is commanding the same type of readiness from his followers. And that same idea is conveyed with, with the lamps. He tells them to keep their lamps burning. And many of you are probably familiar with the parable of the ten virgins from Matthew 25. There, just like here, the lamps signify that those or signify the ones who will be ready when Jesus comes. So with their lamps already burning, these servants will be able to serve their master at the moment that he arrives. Even if he arrives in the middle of the night, the lamps will already be burning. They won't have to get up and shuffle around and get changed. They are ready for their master. Now, in this parable, the master has gone away to a wedding feast. Now, ancient Israelites did weddings way better than we do today because their weddings would last anywhere from a few days to a week, but usually closer to a week. So we should start that trend, get out of work for a week, go to the wedding feast. That would be fantastic. So the master's been away, and the servant doesn't know when he's returning. The master can't shoot a text to his servant, but the servant does know the master will come. But he doesn't know when, so he has to be in a constant state of readiness. He's keeping those loins girded up. He's keeping his lamp burning so that as soon as, as, soon as his master returns, he can take action. And that's the force of the verb here. When it says to, to stay ready or stay dressed for action, in Greek, that's what's called a present imperative. And that command is intended to be um, an ongoing action, a continuous action. So this isn't just be awake, be alert, be watchful. This is stay awake, stay dressed, stay alert, stay watchful, stay ready because the master will return. And if you are ready, then the moment the master knocks, you can open the door, you can serve him. This type of readiness will be rewarded by their master. Now, I want you, before we keep moving in this parable, I want you to try and understand this as the original readers of the Gospel of Luke would. Luke is writing primarily to Gentiles that are living in the Roman Empire. Many of them would probably be a little bit put off by this comparison. They probably wouldn't like the idea of being compared to a servant. That's the low end of the social totem pole. So this comparison probably wouldn't be all that appealing to the original readers of Luke. And my guess is that none of you in this room would appreciate being told, you need to be a servant, you need to be a slave. But Jesus sort of flips the the servant-master relationship on its head. So while it's an off-putting comparison initially, the servant that watches for his master's return, the one that continues in a state of readiness, he is blessed, it says, The master will be so pleased with him that when he finds his servant, the master will change into the worker's clothes and he'll take his servant, he'll place him at the table and he will bring him food. He will serve him. Throughout the Bible, we see this picture of a great feast prepared for the people of God. We see this in the prophet Isaiah, we see this in the Gospels, we see this in the book of Revelation. The servant who is ready when Jesus returns will have a place at the table in the kingdom of God when Jesus and his people are finally united. 
But if we desire a seat at that table, if we desire a place in the kingdom of God, if we desire to be with Jesus in fellowship forever, we must be ready. That's the point of this first parable. Make sure that you're ready when Jesus comes. So if you're taking notes, parable number one, Jesus expects us to be ready when he returns. Jesus expects us to be ready when he returns. In the third parable, we're not there yet, but we'll be there in a few minutes, Jesus will, will show us what readiness looks like. But the time that we've spent in first Peter can actually help us to understand readiness as well. If you guys have been here the last few weeks, uh, Tim preached two or three weeks ago on 1 Peter 13 through 16. And in verse 13, Peter is actually borrowing from the words of Jesus here in Luke 12. In 1 Peter, he writes that we are to prepare our minds for action. And it's almost the same phrasing that we find in Luke 12. Jesus says, gird up your loins, keep your loins girded up. Peter, in 1 Peter, is really saying, gird up the loins of your mind. So in Luke, Jesus says, stay ready. Be dressed for action so that when Jesus comes, you are ready. In 1 Peter, he's talking about preparing our minds for action. And it's tied to the coming of Jesus. It's tied to setting your hope on the grace that will be revealed to us at his coming. And then with our hopes set on the return of Jesus, the next thing that Peter tells us to do is to be holy as he who calls us is holy. And I think the same is true here in Luke. Readiness, it requires us to look forward to Jesus, to his coming, but it requires us also to live in a way that is pleasing to him. So we may not know when Jesus is coming back, but we can look forward to it. We can focus on it. We can live in light of his coming. Because being ready is not just knowing that he will come eventually. It is living in a way that pleases him. And think of the servant in this parable. He doesn't stay dressed for action and keep his lamp burning for himself. He'd probably much rather be sleeping. But because his focus is on pleasing his master, that's why he does those things. Being ready means that our primary focus in life is pleasing Jesus. But this can be difficult because the world is a distracting place. And it can be a whole lot easier to live for ourselves in Jesus' absence. I mean, we can know that Jesus will reward those when he finds them ready at his coming. But we don't know when he's coming. And so I think sometimes, not even intentionally, but, but slowly over time... We lose focus. We take our focus off of Jesus. We begin to look around at what the world has to offer. And it can be enticing. Because we look around and say, that looks looks pretty good. And I don't have to wait for that. I can have that right now. Like, I don't need to look forward to this. I can just go and get it. And so our priority shifts from living in a way that seeks to please Jesus to living in a way that seeks to please ourselves. Maybe some of you have lost your focus. What is the driving force behind your choices? Is it honoring and pleasing Jesus? Or has that become secondary? Are you living to honor and please yourself? A self-seeking servant is not a servant who is ready for his master's return. But it may not be 
pleasure or selfishness that is keeping you from being ready. Maybe it's just that you're too busy. You've got too much going on to focus on, the, on what Jesus has called you to. And so you think, you know, I'll, I'll get a grip on this stuff. I'll get this stuff squared away. And then once I have that done, then it'll be time to focus on Jesus. But the problem with this thinking is that there's no guarantee that Jesus is going to wait till you get everything in order. Just like in hide-and-go-seek, the seeker doesn't have to wait until the hiders are ready. He gives them the warning, and he comes. It's on them to be ready. Jesus does not promise that he will wait until it's convenient, to, convenient for you to return. In fact, verse 38 implies the exact opposite. Verse 38 says the servant must be ready even if the master returns in the second or third watch of the night. Now, at that time, the, the Israelites broke the night up into three watches. Uh, the, the Romans broke it up into four, but we'll, we'll go with the, the Israelite uh, watches here. So there's three watches in the night, 6 p.m., to 10 p.m., that's number one. Number two, 10 p.m. to 2 a.m., and then the third watch would be 2 a.m. to 6 a.m. There's not a whole lot going on in those second and third watches other than sleeping, correct? These servants, you would imagine, would, would probably have better things to do than wait on their master in the watches of the night. My wife and I have a one-year-old daughter, um, and she's developed an allergy recently, um, and it's been incredibly frustrating. It's really thrown off our schedule. But for whatever reason, she is now allergic to sleeping. <laughs> she thrives in the second and third watches of the night. And so Lauren and I have grown accustomed to being up at these late hours. And church, I can tell you, it is very inconvenient. Nothing convenient about it. Jesus' return may not be when it's convenient for you. But his expectation for us remains the same. It doesn't matter how busy you are. It doesn't matter what else you have going on. Be ready. Just as the master expects his servants to be ready when he returns from the wedding feast, Jesus expects to find us ready and waiting as well. And those who are ready will have a seat at the table. They will enter into the kingdom of God and live with Jesus. And those who plan to, to take care of everything else and get ready later, well, they'll, they'll be out of time. So church, are you ready? Because ready or not, he is coming. Read the next two verses with me. Verses 39 and 40. <clears throat> but know this, that if the master of the house had known at what hour the thief was coming, he would not have left his house to be broken into. You also must be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. <clears throat> if a thief were to announce his coming before he came to steal, would he be a very good thief? No, he'd be a very bad thief. That would make his task much more difficult. A thief tries to catch people unprepared so that he can take what he wants with as little resistance as possible. But if the owner got a letter in the mail from the thief and they said, hey, October 2nd, I'm coming to rob your house, the owner would be prepared to defend his house. Right? The thief is likely not going to send a letter. He's going to come when the owner is asleep or when the owner is away. In verses 35 to 38, the master who's set to return at some point 
represents Jesus. And because of that, we can be tempted to read these two verses and assume that, okay, the master here must still be Jesus. Or maybe, maybe it's the thief that represents Jesus in verse 39. But I don't think that's what Jesus meant. And verse 40 helps us clarify what the point of this brief parable is. He says, The Son of Man is coming, and he is coming at an hour you do not expect. The purpose of this short parable is to tell us something about Jesus' coming. Jesus is not a thief coming to break into your house and steal things. Jesus is not the master who left his possessions vulnerable to somebody else to come and take. That can't be the case. He told us in John 6 that he would lose nothing of all that the Father has given him. So those that belong to Jesus are not not vulnerable to being stolen away in his absence. The point is, we can't anticipate when a thief might strike. In the same way, we cannot anticipate when Jesus is coming. So parable number two is there to tell us that Jesus' return is certain, but it will also be unexpected. Jesus' return is certain, but it will also be unexpected. So we may not be able to anticipate when a thief might come, but even still, we can take precautions to make sure that our home is secure. Probably all of you do the same thing, correct? You lock your doors. Maybe some of you have a weapon that you keep in your home for for self-defense. Maybe you have a security system. You got video cameras. You got a ring doorbell. Something to deter criminals, to deter Thieves, you do your best to keep your home prepared in the event that a thief does come. I do this. I lock my doors. I have a baseball bat and a can of wasp spray. My home is prepared to fend off both thieves and wasps. But you would be foolish not to take precautions. But church, it's even more foolish, infinitely more foolish, to not do everything we can to stay ready for the coming of Jesus. Our focus must be on pleasing Jesus so that whenever he comes, we are found ready. We know he's coming, but we don't know when. So we must live at all times in a way that is pleasing to him. So no matter when he shows up, we are not caught unprepared and we are ready. So church, I ask again, are you ready Are you ready? If Jesus returned before I finished preaching this sermon, would you be ready? Let's read the final parable here, verses 41 through 48. Peter said, Lord, are you telling this parable for us or for all? And the Lord said, Who then is the the faithful and wise manager from whom his master will set over his household to give them their portion of food at the proper time? Blessed is the servant whom his master will find so doing when he comes. Truly I say to you, he will set him over all his possessions. But if that servant says to himself, my master is delayed in coming and begins to beat the male and female servants and to eat and drink and get drunk... The master of that servant will come on a day when he does not expect and at an hour he does not know and he will cut him in pieces and put him with the unfaithful. And that servant who knew his master's will but did not get ready or act according to his will will receive a severe beating. But the one who did not know and did what deserved a beating, he will receive a light beating. Everyone to whom much was given, of him much will be required." And from him to whom they entrusted much, 
They will demand the more. So verse Peter, uh, verse 41, not verse Peter, verse 41, Peter asks an important question. Who is this for? Who are you talking to, Jesus? And I can tell you this is a question that I wrestled with as I prepared to preach this because Jesus doesn't answer this question directly, much to my frustration. Um, But that's okay. Jesus was intentional in not answering this question directly. And some people think that he was talking specifically to teachers or maybe to the Pharisees. But but I think Jesus could have been doing that, but I think he, he left it ambiguous on purpose because he didn't want anybody to say, you know, this warning isn't for me. He wants us all to see ourselves in this parable. He wants all of us to consider this warning, to consider whether or not we are prepared for his return, whether we're being faithful with all that he has given us. He has given us the gospel to share with the lost. He's given us gifts to use for service. He's given us his commands to obey in his absence. Are we being faithful with all that he has given us? As we move through this parable down into verse 42, Jesus uses a new word here instead of the word servant. He uses the word manager. And you could translate that manager, steward, whatever whatever you like there, manager or steward. But this manager position, that was an important position. A master would select one of his uh, more trusted servants to work as his manager. This was an earned position. Uh, Think of the story of Joseph from Genesis 38. He didn't start out as the manager of Potiphar's house, but he was faithful with a little bit. Potiphar took note. He saw that the Lord was with him, so he promoted him to manage the rest of his house. And that's the same idea here. This, this steward would have shown some level of faithfulness to the master. And, and so in response to that faithfulness, the master has given him more and more responsibility. It's his job to watch over the house while the master is gone. So in the master's absence, this manager would watch the household, including resources, including the people. It was his job to make sure that the other servants were fed, that they got all of their work done. It was his job to make sure that the house continued to function as it should, smoothly, just like it would if the master was there. So as far as being a servant goes, this would be a great honor. This position made him important. It gave him power over the other servants. But as Spider-Man's uncle once told us, with great power comes great responsibility. If the house turned to chaos in the master's absence... That would reflect poorly on the manager. He, more than anybody else, would be the one that was held responsible. So the steward had to be careful, the manager had to be careful to do all that the master commanded him to do. Because if he didn't, there would be consequences. Verses 42 to 46, Jesus describes two servants, a faithful servant and an unfaithful servant. Servant. And with these two descriptions, Jesus tells us how we can be ready for his return. So, first, you have the faithful manager. He does well. As long as the master is gone, he is the one with the authority. He can do as he pleases. But this faithful servant chooses to, to responsibly carry out the wishes and commands of his master. He cares well for the other servants that have been placed under his care. And the example that Jesus gives here is that he gives each servant the portion of the food that they are supposed to get. He doesn't give less to certain servants. He doesn't show favoritism and give more to others. He doesn't take extra for himself. 
he is faithful and obedient in the master's absence. So when the master returns, he finds that his servant has done well. And Jesus says, this servant is blessed for it. He is the wise and faithful servant. This servant didn't know when his master was coming back, but he knew that his master was coming back, so he stayed ready. He stayed dressed for action. He kept his lamp burning because he knew that when his master came, he would find him to be faithful. And there was, there was reward for the faithful and ready servant. The master happily promotes him. He doesn't just watch over the other servants now, but he watches over all that belongs to the master. He was rewarded for being ready, and he was ready because he was faithful. He was rewarded for being ready, and he was ready because he was faithful. The next manager, though, not so faithful. This servant is left in charge, and, and it appears that for a time, he, he managed well. But the manager's absence was longer than expected. It kind of dragged on a little bit, and he begins to think to himself, the master's not here yet. He was supposed to be back. I might as well have some fun while he's gone. I have the authority. I have the power. I can do as I please. And he disregards what the master has asked him to do, and he begins to do whatever he desires. Rather than caring for the other servants, he gets violent with them. He beats the men and women that were placed in his care. Unlike the faithful servant who fairly and rightly distributed the master's food, his resources, the unfaithful manager takes advantage of the master's absence. He selfishly feasts on the master's food, drinks the master's wine, getting drunk on it, drinking and eating in excess all that belongs to the master. But he's caught red-handed when the master returns because he didn't expect the master. He wasn't ready for the master. He was not ready because he was unfaithful to the commands of his master. And this servant's unfaithfulness leads to a gruesome demise as the master cuts the steward into pieces and he places him among the unfaithful. And that word literally means to cut in half. Jesus is intentionally using a, a gory example to, to demonstrate the severity, the severity of the punishment coming for those who are unfaithful. Do you see the relationship here between faithfulness and readiness? The first parable was about being ready for Jesus' coming. And Jesus is showing us here that the way to be ready is by being faithful. And that's our, our big idea. The point of parable number three is our big idea this afternoon. Live faithfully so that you are ready when Jesus comes. Live faithfully so that you are ready when Jesus comes. He expects readiness. But you cannot be ready without faithfulness. You won't be ready for Jesus' arrival unless you are faithful in his absence. If you wish to be ready for Jesus, you have to be faithful to him as well. The faithful steward was ready when his master returned. He didn't have any knowledge that the unfaithful servant didn't have. They didn't, neither of them knew when the master was coming. But it didn't matter to the faithful servant because he knew the master would come eventually. So he was faithful, looking forward to the master's coming, knowing that when the master arrived, he would be pleased by what he found. This is what each of our lives should look like. We know that Jesus is coming. So stay ready for his coming. 
And do, we do that by living our lives for his honor and glory, living in ways that honor his commands, that bring him glory and please him. You don't need to know when Jesus is coming back. Just be content to be faithful in the meantime until he does. Because when he returns and when he finds you faithful, you'll be blessed. There is great reward, it says here. In the parable, the servant receives a promotion. Now, some commentators believe that this means that, that we're going to receive a, a position in the kingdom of God in heaven that's proportionate to the faithfulness we showed here on earth. That very well may be true. There's certainly other passages in the Bible that would agree with this idea. But I don't think it's entirely clear that that's what's being said here. What we can say for sure is that the reward for those who are faithful is that they will be in the kingdom of God with Jesus. Now, Jesus doesn't give specific commands in this passage, but the Bible's filled with them. So we can paint in broad strokes here and talk about what it means to be faithful to Jesus. He's called us, first and foremost, to put our faith in him, to believe that he is who he said he was, that he died and rose again. He, he told us to spread the good news of the gospel, to love God with all our heart, soul, and mind, to live our lives wholly and exclusively for him. Now, being ready for Jesus' return doesn't mean that, that we never sin, that we never make mistakes. Certainly, we will sin. We're going to sin this week, all of us. We will make mistakes. But being ready means that as a whole, our lives can be characterized by faithfulness and obedience to Jesus. So if I ask you again, with all of that, would you be ready if Jesus came today? If Jesus came today and was standing in front of you, would he be pleased by the way that you're living? Would he characterize your life by faithfulness and obedience? <clears throat> our faithfulness demonstrates our readiness. But that also means that unfaithfulness demonstrates a lack of readiness. This description here of the unfaithful servant should give all of us pause. It should cause all of us to shudder and consider if we are faithful. The unfaithful servant, he knows the master. The master's told him exactly what he is to do, but he chooses to do something different. Chooses to do what he desires. The master's not here. I call the shots right now. I will do what I think is best, what seems good to me. And I say that should give us pause because there are many people in churches today that sound a lot like that. Churches are filled with people who claim to know Jesus. They, they come to church on Sunday. They might even do some of what Jesus asks. But when push comes to shove, when the will of Jesus conflicts with their own will, they're going to choose their own. They're going to do what seems best to them. There are many who claim faith in Jesus, who claim to be ready for his coming, but the way that they live paints a different story. And when Jesus returns, they will be disappointed to find that they are placed among the unfaithful. If you are not faithful to Jesus, you can't be ready for his return. And the punishment for those who are not ready is a scary thing. This is a heavy topic Jesus says the, un, the unfaithful servant will be cut to pieces. Now, that's a metaphor, but we should not find comfort in the fact that this is a metaphor because people generally use metaphor to explain something that they, that they really can't explain very well without the metaphor. 
Jesus uses a a gory, serious, severe metaphor to show the severity of the judgment that awaits the unfaithful. And the next line here clarifies what that punishment truly is. They are placed among the unfaithful. They're not cut in half, but they are considered unfaithful, faithless. Matthew 24 recounts the same parable, but it adds at the end one more detail, that the unfaithful are placed where there is weeping and gnashing of teeth. This is a phrase that's commonly used throughout the Gospels to describe hell. Those who are unfaithful will not inherit the kingdom of God. They will not have a seat at the table with Jesus. Those who live for themselves who reject what Jesus has commanded, who reject the gospel, refuse to submit to him and put their faith in him, they will be punished in hell for eternity. Unending judgment and suffering. This is a heavy topic. The unfaithful servant thought he could take advantage of the master's absence and get away with breaking some of the rules. Now, very few in the church today would call themselves the unfaithful servant, but I think many think the same way the unfaithful servant does. Don't fool yourself into thinking that you can do what you want now and be faithful later. Later might not come. Your career, your 401k, that is not more important than faithfulness to Jesus. If you're willing to disregard the commands of Jesus in order to get ahead at work, to secure a promotion, to to get a bigger bonus, that's a problem. That type of behavior is not consistent with the faithful servant, but with the unfaithful servant. And I can promise you that when Jesus comes, he will not be impressed by the size of your bank account. He's going to ask, are you ready? Were you faithful in my absence? Your success and personal accomplishments, your wealth, your intellect, your degrees, anything that you do is utterly worthless if you sacrifice faithfulness to Jesus in order to get it. And students, I want you to hear this too. This is not only a warning for your parents. Jesus has the same expectation for all of you. He expects you to be ready when he comes. You might not be 40 years old when he comes. He might come next week. Don't use your youth as a crutch. Don't use it as an excuse. Don't assume that you'll have time to focus on Jesus and be faithful later. I see this from students, especially students that are going off to college because college is kind of viewed as that time that's for you. You get to try out whatever you want. Try out what the world has to offer. See what you like. There's no parents there. Your pastor isn't there. There's no consequences. You can cut loose and do the things that you know you really shouldn't do. But, but once you're done with college, once you're older, then you'll get back into church and you'll get serious about following Jesus. There's two problems with this. One, statistically, students that take this approach usually never end up back in the church or following Jesus after college. And two, This line of thinking sounds exactly like the unfaithful servant. We've already seen what awaits the unfaithful servant. It doesn't matter what age you are. It doesn't matter what stage of life you're in. Jesus' expectation remains the same. Be ready when he comes. And we do that by ongoing faithfulness and obedience to Jesus. But there's one more thing for us to consider here. 
verses 47 and 48. We already read those two verses, but, but it seems to imply that there are degrees of punishment for the unfaithful depending on the amount of knowledge they had about Jesus, about their master's will. The one who knows the will of the master, who fails to do it, who fails to get ready in his absence, he's going to receive a more severe beating than the one who disobeys the master out of ignorance. In Greek, it says that the one who knowingly, uh, knowingly disobeys will receive many blows, and the one who unknowingly disobeys, disobeys will receive fewer blows. This is a lot like the, the high-handed sins and un, unintentional sins from the Old Testament. If you read uh, in the Old Testament law, there are laws specifically for unintentional sins, but there's much more severe punishment for high-handed sins. High, high-handed sins are the kind of sins where you look at what God has said and you say, yeah, I know what you want, God, but that doesn't sound good to me. I'm going to go do something different, something that sounds like more fun, something better to me. And it seems like that's the difference here. Those who disobey out of ignorance, they're still going to be punished. They, they, you, you can't take uh, comfort in the fact that, oh, they didn't know less, so Jesus won't punish them. That's not true. They will be held accountable for their sins. Their punishment will be less, though, than those who had more knowledge of what Jesus commanded his people. Those who grew up in church will receive, a, a, those who grew up in church and, and turn away and refuse to follow Jesus will receive a more severe punishment than those who didn't have that opportunity. To whom much was given, much will be required from him. To the one entrusted with much, there will be more demanded from him. Now, all of us have that same baseline expectation of being ready when Jesus comes. That is shared across the board, but, but there is a higher standard for those with greater knowledge of Jesus. And, and this isn't just talking about necessarily um, punishment, but this is talking, I think, to God's people. Those who are entrusted with greater responsibility must hold themselves to a higher standard of faithfulness. They must be more cautious and more careful because Jesus will judge them more strictly as well. That means that those who God gives positions of authority to, like myself, like your other elders, we must be careful to be above reproach in every way because we have been tasked with leading and caring for God's people his people whom he loves deeply. And because of that, he will hold us to a higher standard. And we must be careful to do that well. Not in the way that we see fit, that benefits us, but in the way that God has asked us to do it. But I think this last statement isn't just about leaders. I think it applies to all of us, as I've said. All of us must consider whether we have been faithful with, it, with what Jesus has given us. All of us receive different gifts, different responsibilities, and we will be held accountable according to how we managed those gifts and responsibilities. And all of you here right now, you are hearing Jesus' warning. If you are not ready when Jesus comes, it'll be worse for you than somebody who has never heard. Church, Jesus' is coming is a certainty. We can't afford to be complacent in his absence. Don't settle for giving lip service on Sunday once a week. Jesus didn't call you to sit in church on Sunday once a week. He said, be ready. Watch for his coming. Live faithfully as you wait. Whether you are ready or not, Jesus is coming. Heavenly Father, We thank you for passages like this. 
Passages that remind us that the important thing is not knowing when you're coming, but being ready when you do come. Lord, and I pray that, that each person in here will, will reflect on their own life. Reflect on whether they look more like the faithful or the unfaithful servant. Lord, I pray that none of us here would grow complacent in your absence, but that our hope would be set on your coming, that we would look forward to our reunion with you, and that as we wait, we would walk in obedience and faithfulness. And Lord, I pray that if there is anyone in here that does not know you, that has never put their trust in you, I pray that they would do that so that they can also be ready at your coming. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.